10 takeaways. Woo, what a week. What a fun week. What a fun, that was a, just a nice, fun week. A nice, fun week. And what was the, the most fun? The Miami Dolphins. The Miami Dolphins. My, my daughter was hanging out with friends, and she came back, and the first thing, she, she burst through the door, and she said, can you believe the Dolphins? Can you believe it? 70 points. And uh, I was like, uh, yeah, I can believe it. I can believe it. Tyreek Hill, I can believe it. If there's a guy that's going to fuel that kind of blowout, it's going to be a guy like Tyreek Hill. And Tyreek Hill made a lot of plays. He got them down into scoring position. A lot of those Tyreek Hill plays became Raheem Mostert touchdowns, right? That's what happens sometimes. And, and my takeaways are that Raheem Mostert is Frank Gore, right? Raheem Mostert had all these injury problems early in his career. Could never stay healthy, had the highest fragility rating for years on our Injury Finder app. And then a funny thing happened. Over the years, he's become more and more durable. And there's a principle. This is called Wolf's Law. This is the Frank Gore principle, the Wolf's Law principle. That as you get older and you go through the process of absorbing punishment, you build durability. That as your body stays healthy, as the years go on, that you learn, your body learns how to absorb contact. Your body learns durability. This is a, a principle that goes uh, you know, across the animal kingdom that the oldest or the, the, uh, those on the older side of tasks that require strength and durability that there there is an old man strength like that's a real thing that's that's a that's a proven biological phenomenon is old man strength and old man durability and that uh, the body can learn to withstand greater punishment you know carry heavier loads this is wolf's law look it up look it up look it up and it's the frank gore law frank gore was the most injury-prone running back coming out of Miami, and then by the time he retired, he was the least injury-prone. It wasn't injuries that took down Frank Gore. It was father time. It was just that he played till he was 50, and it was gray hair. It was really the gray hair that, that held Frank Gore back. And the fact that he was probably running like a 5-2-40 by that time, right? I mean, so Raheem Mostert's now that guy. Raheem Mostert has athleticism to burn. That's what I love about fast players. Fast players can play longer because as their speed dwindles, diminishes, those fast twitch muscle fibers deteriorate, well, they can learn the nuances of the position to be crafty veterans. Right? But the problem is if you start off running a 4.7, when you're 35, you're running a 4.9. And that's, that's, a lot, that's a challenge. That's like Kareem Hunt. Kareem Hunt was already running a 4.6. Now he's running a 4-8. So Kareem Hunt is not better than Pierre Strong. I know Pierre Strong got in there at the end in a blowout. So you can't compare and say, oh, well, uh, Pierre Strong outtouched Kareem Hunt. No, Kareem Hunt's touches came earlier in the game. Those are more important. Kareem Hunt's still technically the number two, but most importantly, Jerome Ford, the number one. The two touchdowns for Jerome Ford. Let's go. Let's go. But the beauty of Raheem Mostert is that he was already running like a 4-3-7, right? He was a special teamer at Purdue. 
he had this one skill, which was straight line speed and getting to the edge, putting his foot in the ground and getting upfield. That's what he, that was his specialty in San Francisco. And that's why they brought him to Miami to do that, to do that, to get wide, stick your foot in the ground and get upfield. That's what he's good at. That's what he's good at. And, and that's why we were so bullish on Devon A-Chain. Like, hey, got to get Devon A-Chain, stash Devon A-Chain, talking about him in the Top 10 Takeaway show last week and the Waiver Wired show. But then we had we want to reinforce it on the Sonic Truth show. That was important. That We, uh, we went live on Friday, dropped the podcast on Saturday. Got to get Devon A-Chain because if Raheem Mostert is doing what he's doing at age 31, again, he's still fast. He doesn't run a 4.37 anymore. Now he runs a 4.57. But that's still fast enough. That's still fast enough, explosive enough to get four yards every time he touches the ball, potentially 12. It's like, what is, is Mostert going to get four on this one or is he going to get 12? And then you thought, okay, well, okay, if a 31-year-old Mostert, who is, again, productive because he has been acclimated to the position and to the game over these 10 years in the league, that now he's officially one of the more durable running backs in the league. He went from one of the most fragile to one of the most durable. He's learned how to operate in that system. This is the thing he specialized in the last 10 years is how to gain yards out of the stretch zone running scheme. This is something that Raheem Mostert, of all the running backs in the league, you could argue Raheem Mostert is the best, knows the most, has the most intuitive knowledge about that particular specialty area in the sport of football. Raheem Mostert is that expert. He is the expert of experts. So Devon A-Chain comes along and then Devon A-Chain is like, well, I, I run this way anyway. This is my running style. And I can learn from the expert of the experts. But it, the, the thesis was you drop that guy into this system. If Raheem Mostert is this productive at age 31, well, what is Devon A-Chain going to be? Because he has the explosiveness of young Raheem Mostert, right? This is why Devon A-Chain going to Miami was the best possible scenario. I was not as bullish on Devon A-Chain until I saw the Miami landing spot. Landing spots matter. That's a takeaway, okay? And Devon A-Chain going to Miami was the greatest skill match in the NFL draft. You go down the board of the NFL draft, you're not going to find a better player with their skill set and the team that drafted them. How do they match up? There's no better match. There is no better match than what we saw yesterday with Devon A-Chain matched up with the Miami Dolphins and their system. Theo and I told you on the Sonic Truth show, and I told you every show before that. And Raheem Mostert's not going anywhere because he's a lightly used race car. It's not like he has a lot of career touches, right? His body's been trained up to absorb this contact now. He's been trained up to run in this system. And durability is not the same concern it was for Raheem Mostert two years ago. So I'm all in. You can be all in on both of these guys. In all formats, Raheem Mostert's still even a a, a value in Dynasty. Uh, There's probably teams out there in Dynasty that don't believe in their heart of hearts they're going to be competitive this year, so you should go try to scoop Raheem Mostert from them. It's a buy-high situation. It's a buy-high on on Devon A-Chain, buy-high on Raheem Mostert, Salvon Ahmed, get him. It's all systems go with the running game. And Teron Armstead matters. That's another takeaway. You think this is a coincidence that this is the week that Tarn Armstead comes back? He's active. 
and then they score 70 with 17 rushing touchdowns? You think this is a coincidence? And everyone's talking about Mostert and, and the system, right? Count how many times. I wish we had an aggregation. We probably do. There's probably some AI bot that's been created that can spider all media, right? Just create a web of every media node in the interwebs. Find every instance where the word Shanahan was spoken or written compared to the number of instances that Robert Hunt was spoken or written. Because Armstead and Hunt are, they are the unsung heroes. They're the players that should be discussed. And I've already done my job. And this, this show is already elite level analysis because the words Robert Hunt tumbled from my lips. Just that alone makes this an upper echelon show. He's a star. And Jalen Waddle wasn't even on the field. Wasn't even on the field. Amazing. It's just amazing. Imagine if Waddle was out there. What would wa Waddle, 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 Waddle managers just gotta be upset about this. They're, they can't be happy. That's the first thing I thought of. I looked up, I was like, ooh. Saw the score, I was like, oh, Waddle managers. They're furious. Oh, they're furious. And Tua out there, Tua looks great. Tua looks like a left-handed Drew Brees. Left-handed Drew Brees. And, and funny enough that he beat Drew Brees' old coach. That Mike McDaniel beat the former Mike McDaniel. Because before Mike McDaniel, there was another boy wonder coach who had a, 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 a super hyper accurate pocket passing quarterback. His name was Sean Payton. And it was just the perfect illustration of coach worship in the NFL. That the guy that was celebrated as the reason why Russell Wilson is going to turn everything around and he will be fixed. Why Sean Payton? He's valuable enough. Sean Payton valuable enough to give up a first round pick for. Do you think that Denver's regretting that first round pick now? You think? You think? It was always a catastrophic blunder. We talked about it on the Decision Point show, other shows. How you can't trade a first round pick for a person who doesn't play football. That seems, seems obvious, yet no, 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 the Denver, the, Denver, the Broncos did do the trade. They traded the first round pick because they just needed this, this boy wonder coach or the former boy wonder coach who just happened to have Drew Brees, just like Mike McDaniel just happens to have all these offensive linemen now that are playing at the top of the sport and the best wide receiver duo. Right? It's, it's, oh, wow, that's so shocking that they would put up 70. It must be Mike McDaniel. Mike, he's the reason. It must be the boy wonder coach. But just mark my words. Remember, I said this. Mark the words. Write the timestamp down. Mark these words. Years from now, this current boy wonder coach is going to get blown out and embarrassed by a superior team. By a team with a better quarterback and more talent across the board. By a team that went out and, and acquired their edge rusher. Right? The, the irony was just so thick. Like, I, it was so, you could barely see the action on the... The irony was so thick on the screen when I'm watching the game. I could barely make out the action. I could barely see what was happening. Because I was, there was, there was a, just a film, a thick film of irony. Did Bradley Chubb, right? Bradley Chubb leading the Dolphins defense against 
the Broncos defense who couldn't stop them. And one of the reasons why is he did that Bradley job. Like it matters. It matters when you acquire Armstead and Chubb and Hill. It matters. It matters. It's not just, oh, Mike McDaniel, because he's from the, the Shanahan coaching tree. So he must be a genius. I can tell you what, though. Tell you what. The top equity holders around the league don't know this. This message is not getting to them. They will be chasing the next McDaniel. Oh, yes. In fact, in fact, as we record, as I'm live right now across streaming services, I'm, there's probably some member of the Shanahan coaching tree or the, the Kyle, Kyle Shanahan's offensive coordinator is being interviewed right now. I'm sure of it. The next coach to be hired in the NFL will certainly come from the Shanahan coaching tree, and he will necessarily be overrated. That I don't promise much, but I can promise you that. And these aren't even my top 10 takeaways. These are just my Dolphins takeaways. We're going to get to my actual takeaways, the top 10 takeaways, after this. Hey, so many ask me, what's wrong with sports books? Why so many of them fail? The answer is simple. They don't innovate. They're just casino sports books on a phone. That's all they've been. There are a few that are doing a good job. We partner with them. Most of them, not so much until Bet Openly came along. Bet Openly said, hey, we're going to innovate. We're going to do something groundbreaking. We're going to have peer to peer betting in all states, and you pay 1%. When you win, you pay just 1% on your winnings. You heard that right. It's 1%. With code Underworld, you qualify for just that 1% transaction fee on Bet Openly. It gives you ultimate flexibility to set your own lines and browse lines that others have set. Think about it. That's what betting should be. And now that is the reality. BetOpenly.com. The code is Underworld. Check it out. We have takes. We have some takes. I'm looking at some takes right now. Justin Fields. Justin Fields. Justin Fields. Justin Fields. Justin Fields. Was a risky pick this year. Mobile quarterbacks that are unproven are risky. I know it's not popular. It's like saying that Anthony Richardson was risky because he could get injured because he's running so much, or that Justin Fields is risky because of past volume concerns. Saying these th- saying these things this offseason wasn't popular. It wasn't a way to get an applause line for our analysts, but our analysts were saying this. And now Justin Fields is throwing for less than 100 yards, down 30. Less than 100 yards down 30. Less than 100 yards passing down 30. If that's not a screaming indictment of Justin Fields, I couldn't I couldn't provide you one. The, the, the beauty is, though, that DJ Moore, like most primary options, Garrett Wilson got there. Like, he got the 10-plus fantasy points somehow, some way, that DJ Moore would get there, would get you the 10-plus fantasy points, though... Justin Fields throws for less than 100 yards is amazing, but it is the function of a quality number one option. Whether it's DeAndre Hopkins with Tom Savage, what going back through time, a quality number one option will get there regardless, regardless of quarterback play. And I did notice, and everyone should notice this, it was, un, it was underreported because the game script was heavily negative and, and they weren't able to showcase 
themselves, either Herbert or Roshan Johnson, but Roshan Johnson was better. Roshan Johnson was better than Herbert again. It is just a matter of time. I predicted week five would be the week that Roshan Johnson ended up outproducing Khalil Herbert, but I was wrong. It was this week. It's. It, uh, I'm sorry. I, 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 uh, I thought I was being aggressive saying week five. I should have said week three. I've also said that Canarius Tony's terrible. He's bad. And it's not just because he's injury prone. It's because he's not a good receiver. He could, he could move into like a Tavon Austin role. He is Tavon Austin. That's what I've said for years. And yet so many fantasy gamers talking themselves into, oh, he's the number one option for my homes. Number one option for my homes. He had 0.9 fantasy points. How do you even have 0.9? The only way you get 0.9 fantasy points with a catch in a PPR league is you need to have negative yards. And that's what he did. That's what he did. And Rashi Rice is the number one receiver. Now, when you look at the targets, it's Rice and Sky Moore. Rice and Sky Moore. But the difference is, and this is a big difference, Rashi Rice is, is, a, is a rookie. If he's commanding these kinds of targets, if he's this productive as a rookie, competing for targets with a, a second-year sophomore player, he, it gives him a huge advantage. It's the same advantage that Michael Wilson has. Michael Wilson was the receiving leader. So he has a giant advantage over Rondale Moore or anyone else in that passing game. So Rashi Rice is happening. Congratulations, everyone. If you thought Rashi Rice was going to be the alpha receiver this year, you win. It's great news. And the fact that Patrick Mahomes is throwing the ball to three particular receivers, Travis Kelsey, Sky Moore, and Rashi Rice, is a great sign. That tells me that Patrick Mahomes is in great hands. That he's turning to these young receivers early in the season. A rookie and a sophomore. Both were prolific producers in college. This tells me that Patrick Mahomes is going to be just fine. And Michael Wilson's going to be the leading receiver for the Cardinals this year. He's already been operating as, as their alpha. And he is just a rookie. And, and they don't even have Kyler Murray. Just wait until Kyler Murray returns. Same thing with James Conner. Three straight top 20 performances without Kyler Murray. But we know about the Alfred Morris corollary when a mobile quarterback is injected into a system, an offensive system, then it keeps defenses honest. It freezes linebackers. It's going to make James Conner even more efficient, and they're certainly going to score more points with Kyler Murray. So James Conner is going to get even more red zone opportunities. But the fact that he started the year, who saw this coming? Nobody. Three straight top 20 performances. Bravo to James Conner. Bravo. The old running backs. Old running backs that are continuing to chug along. James Conner, Raheem Mostert, give them a hand. I'm very, I'm, I'm just, I'm very happy. I'm very happy to see because you remember how quickly David Johnson, Le'Veon Bell, Melvin Gordon, so many of these running backs, they turned 27 and then just instantly edified. They turned to stone. It's just, it was like they, they were, it was just one year, they look explosive. The next year, just dust. The fact that running backs are able to turn 27, 28, 29, 31 and be productive in the league, it's just good news. It's good news for the position. It's not good if every running back instantly turns to dust at age 27. That's not good for the sport. It's not good for the athletes. It's not good for us in Dynasty. 
Because then you could never you're the, the the running backs are always slipping through your hands. You can never get them in time. The moment you acquire them in Dynasty, they're dust. There's new hope with Connor and with Mostert that we can actually draft a running back and not expect him to go to zero by age 27. That's good news. Tony Pollard, great example. Tony Pollard, you know, Tony Pollard's 26, right? So I'm a big Tony Pollard fan. The fact that Tony Pollard now could theoretically play and be productive out to age 30 is great news. So we're seeing that, again, reestablished by James Conner, by Mostert. Great news. There's bad news for Dak Prescott. That's a takeaway. Less than 200 air yards in three consecutive games. Rut row. Rut row. Rut row. Spaghetti-o. This is bad. This is bad news. To get beat by the Cardinals. Now, I understand why they weren't throwing the ball a lot against the Giants. It was just, you know, they're just trying to, you know, milk the clock. I understand. But we're now three years past Dak Prescott's prime. Dak Prescott was at the peak of his power in 2020 when he was putting up close to 28 fantasy points per game. He was prolific. He had three straight performances with 450 passing yards, which was an NFL record. And then you look up and he seems to be a game manager. And what does this track back to? If we're trying to find a correlation or some kind of pattern, if you think back, when did Dak Prescott become a game manager? Well, it was after he had the elbow problem on hard knocks. That was something that you could tell the staff was incredibly concerned about. He was concerned about. So he's had these lower body injuries, the hip injury, the calf injury, all these lower body injuries, but it was that elbow injury. It was that elbow injury, and he just he has not had the same zip, the same deep ball passing ability. He was not ever a, an arm strength centric thrower right you you never would look up and go oh Dak Prescott pushed the ball out there with just pure arm strength that's how we got that's how he delivered that football that's how he did it right you could you can watch Justin Herbert and the way he pushes the football out into space it's like someone who like a long driver if you go to one of these long driving championships where there's just that extra carry on the ball that even pros in the PGA don't have that that these long driving guys do. That's that's what Justin Herbert has. That's what a Josh Allen has. Dak Prescott never had that. That's one of the reasons why he fell to day three in the NFL draft was arm strength concerns. And so it's it's the reverse of Raheem Mostert. So if Raheem Mostert's coming into the league with 99th percentile speed over the years, if he loses some of that speed, that's okay. Still got enough. The requisite speed. If Dak Prescott comes into the league with a weak arm and then it only gets weaker, that's a concern. That is a concern. And I'm not concerned about Tony Pollard, but I am stashing Rico Doddle. Rico Doddle's out here commanding three or more targets in these games. He's being used and no one else is. That's the thing. It's a totally consolidated backfield down to just Pollard and Rico Doddle. And Rico Doddle has size, and he's being used in all phases. So the way that running backs in fantasy football pop the hardest, the most, are that that running back that everyone's you know debating whether or not they should spend all their fab on, right? There's been one guy this year, Jerome Ford. If you're looking for the next Jerome Ford, you want someone who has the backfield to themselves. Should the starter miss time? 
And you also would ideally like this to be a quality offense and running game, and that's what the Cowboys are. So Rico Donald checks all these boxes, except that he's just not a known brand. When you look at who's available on the waiver wire, it's crazy the names with a higher roster percentage than Rico Donald. It, it's it's just befuddling. Even in high-stakes leagues, the availability of Rico Donald these last couple weeks has been stunning. You need to stash him. And the availability of Devontae Adams in the second round was stunning. Wasn't it? Wasn't it just stunning? Wasn't it crazy that how easy it was to get your hands on a Devontae Adams late second round? We're talking late, late second round. Embarrassing. Embarrassing how late he went. I didn't understand. I would I wouldn't have I wouldn't have drafted Garrett Wilson over him. I wouldn't have drafted Jalen Waddle over him. There's a bunch of receivers going before Devontae Adams. I didn't understand. I did a bunch of these perfect draft videos. And I remember in this in the late first round, I'm like, uh Devontae Adams or Chris Olave. Devontae Adams or Chris Olave. And I'm like, well, at pick 20, 21, I could still get Adams, I don't have to reach for Olave. Then, you know, it's probably, it's becoming less realistic to get Devontae Adams by pick 23 or 24. The last two picks in the second round, probably going to have to go Olave there. But I just remember, it was all about Olave and Adams at the end of the second round. Those are the clear best choices. It wasn't even that close. Who else would you have picked there, right? Now, I had concerns about Garrett Wilson and his ability to mesh with Aaron Rodgers and the, the slow pace of the offense and how good the defense was. So there's those are a lot of other reasons beyond Garrett Wilson's sublime abilities that I was worried about Garrett Wilson for fantasy. But just the fact that Garrett Wilson just steamrolled, the ADP just steamrolled Devontae Adams was always weird to me. Because it's not like Aaron Rodgers was a big upgrade over Jimmy Garoppolo. It's not that much of a difference. Jimmy Garoppolo has a bunch of 300-yard games, has a long list of 300-yard games. In fact, more 300-yard games in recent years than Aaron Rodgers does. Jimmy Garoppolo is a functional starting quarterback in the league. Zach Wilson is not. Right? That's the difference. There was not this big quarterback concern with Devontae Adams. Jimmy Garoppolo is going to be fine. If something happens to Jimmy Garoppolo, then that's the concern, right? Something ended up happening... An injury befell Aaron Rodgers, not Jimmy Garoppolo. But as long as Jimmy G is the quarterback, Devontae Adams is going to be a star, as he always is. Like, it's the least surprising thing ever. When you look up, oh, yeah, Devontae Adams had uh, 13 catches for 172 yards and two touchdowns. It's like, uh, yeah, yeah, 42 points. Yeah, yeah, that, that makes sense. Like, it's it's be- These kinds of ceiling games are very believable with the Devontae Adams. For a Garrett Wilson to get there, even with Aaron Rodgers, would have been a lot harder in, in a slow-paced offense with such a good defense. It's just the game flow would have to be so perfect, and, and the, the moon and the stars have to align, whereas with Devontae Adams, that kind of spike week is just what he does. And Chris Olave had 11 targets, over 100 yards. He's going to give you those spike weeks, too. And Michael Thomas is the Hunter Renfro of the Saints. You understand that? That Hunter Renfro's... Average target depth would be greater than Michael Thomas's. Michael Thomas is the most possession possession receiver. The he is the worst target depth wide receiver, the lowest target depth wide receiver in my history doing this. I mean, Danny Amendola. We're talking about some of the 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 lowest target depth receivers 
Kendall Wright. I mean, there's been a bunch, right? There's been a bunch of receivers that you know, Tavon Austin, when he was a receiver, right? There's another example. There's been receivers that would only catch the ball within five yards of the line of scrimmage. That's now Michael Thomas. Michael Thomas gave you 11 fantasy points on nine targets. So he's going to have one of the most embarrassing fantasy points per target by the end of this season any of us have ever seen. Luke Musgrave is going to happen. It, we'll be looking up at the end of this year, and and guess who were the big breakout stud tight ends? This is going to be a great tight end class. We all knew it coming in. Who were they going to be? I had my chips on Musgrave. Others had their chips on Laporta. And why were those two good bets? Because they were the most athletic tight ends. And athleticism matters, especially at tight end. We didn't have athletic testing on Kincaid. And we knew that Michael Mayer's athletic testing was closer to Hunter Henry than it was Travis Kelsey, Rob Gronkowski. Athleticism really matters for tight ends. That's a takeaway. I mean, just look at what Laporte is doing. Look at what Musgrave is doing. Musgrave's not this big fantasy producer, but the targets. He's commanding so many targets. It's exciting. Unlike Traylon Burks. Unlike Drake London, who we'll talk about in a little bit. I mean, Traylon Burks, okay? 0.83 yards per target five yards on six targets for Traylon Burks what did you think was going to happen when they got DeAndre Hopkins what did anyone really did you think this what did you how did you think it was going to play out I'm general I'm genuinely 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 curious how did you people drafting this guy think this was going to play out what did you what did you think was going to happen the same again Another first-round pick from last year. Actually, three first-round picks from last year. Jahan Dotson. What did you think was going to happen? Did you think that Terry McLaurin was just going to like slink away? Did you forget that they have Curtis Samuel, who has a top-20 fantasy season on his resume, and then Jahan Dotson never will? Did you forget that they just turned the offense over to a fifth-round quarterback, who's six-foot-nothing, 200-nothing? Did you forget that it's Washington? What 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 was the case? Remember, Jahan Dotson was not efficient last year. Had average efficiency metrics across the board. He was essentially Josh Palmer last year, but he did have a couple flashy yards after the catch plays that are not sustainable, and he did score a bunch of touchdowns, also not sustainable. So everything you saw from Jahan Dotson last year was not sustainable, but let's go ahead and extrapolate him anyway. That never made sense. It never made sense. The case for Jahan Dotson, the case for Traylon Burks, the case for Drake London never made sense. What do you think is going to happen? They're going to upgrade the offensive line again, and they're going to go ahead and draft a running back, and they're going to stick with their day two quarterback, their game manager quarterback, and you think this is going to be a prolific pass attack? Wow. There's going to be Pitts weeks. There's going to be London weeks. And so far, we've had one out of three weeks London was productive. This week, 4.5 yards per target. But that's not even the issue. It's not the efficiency that's the issue. The issue is the six targets, right? If he's going to average five targets a game, okay, just let's do the math, everybody. This is some easy projection math, okay? If he's going to get five targets times 17 games, that's 85 targets. That's a fifth round pick in fantasy, okay? They were down 10 in the second quarter and onward, six targets. And it's not going to get better. It's, it, why would it? It's not going to get better for Traylon Burks. It's not going to get better for Jahan Dotson. Why would it? As it turns out, and this is shocking, 
This is shocking to me because I love Garrett Wilson, but I loved Olave a little bit more last year. And I thought, well, at least one of London or Burks, someone's going to, you know, exceed expectations. We're going to look up at the end of this year and you're going to have a disappointing season from Garrett Wilson. You have a catastrophic bust in Jamison Williams, a catastrophic bust in Traylon Burks, and a muted, unproductive season incoming from Drake London. That's your 2022 wide receiver class, where it's now literally only Chris Olave has the potential to deliver spike weeks any given week. That's where we are now. Just understand that's where we are. Maybe Jamison Williams, maybe Jamison Williams could deliver spike weeks in week 14. I don't know. But that, that's where we are. Very interesting. I didn't see that coming. I didn't see that coming. Again, remember, every dynasty analyst and most fantasy analysts were bullish on all these guys. There's no room for criticism. If you get criticized, you know, you're going to get someone on Twitter that's going to screenshot your tweet. You can't be critical. If a guy breaks out, you got to make sure you, you cover yourself. Make sure you make sure everybody knows you like this guy, but that maybe you're not going to be drafting him as much as other guys. That's as far as fantasy analysts will go. They won't just say outright bust. The podfather will. I will. Yes. Happily. Jahan Dotson. Overrated. 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 Bust, bust, bust. Fine. I'll be the only one. I'll be the, I'll be, I will, I will do the work, right? I will, I will, I'm, I'm in my forties now. I will be the one trekking up this hill. Okay. We'll do it. I'll be the one. Wolf's law. Now that I'm in my forties, I have the strength, conditioning, and durability to get all the way up the hill by myself. I'll carry all analysts. Happy to do it. Happy to do it. And the Tennessee Titans have been exposed for what they really are. That when they face a, a, a difficult front seven, you just can't start Derrick Henry against any kind of ferocious front seven. They, they don't have the offensive line talent. It's one of the least talented offensive lines in the league. They don't have the quarterback to carry the offense in spite of the weak offensive line. And if you're not going to have the quarterback putting him in scoring position and the offensive line is not going to be opening up any running lanes, then Derrick Henry is useless. You, he is a bag of dicks. Derrick Henry is a bag of dicks against ferocious front sevens because team environment matters. Situation matters. That's why Derrick Henry was not anyone I was drafting. Why? Why? Why, why would you draft Derrick Henry when you can get Kenneth Walker, similar player, similar upside, rounds later, better offense? Like, just doesn't make sense. It doesn't make drafting the Derrick Henrys in the third round, second round, because when you're when Derrick Henry was being drafted, that's when Olave is going off the board. Doesn't make any sense. Derrick Henry over Devontae Adams, just looking very silly right now. The Texans are making me look silly because I certainly did not see this coming from the Texans. I don't know who did. Let me know in the comments if if you know anyone that saw the Texans coming. That's great. I want to talk to them. This is great. I did see Travis Etienne catching a lot more passes, and in that game he did catch five passes, or at least had five targets. Okay, five targets, five targets. That's what matters. The targets are what matters. 17 fantasy points. And uh, wow, wow, man. So many in the comments demanding I take the L on Calvin Ridley after week one. Remember that? Remember that? Remember that? Remember that? And, and what I say? I said, well, it's going to be tough for me to take the L because every week is going to be a different leading receiver. It's going to be Kirk, and then it's going to be Ingram. That's just 
what how this offense is designed. It's designed to spread the ball around, and Calvin Ridley is not measurably better at catching the football, running with the football, than Christian Kirk and Evan Ingram. And it's closer between he and Zay Jones than anyone wants to talk about either. And then sure enough, there's Calvin Ridley, where he has more games as a beta than he does as an alpha so far on the NFL schedule. You're welcome. You're welcome. Because again, I had the courage in the face of a big, hairy 20-point performance to say what anyone that's actually paying attention to the Jaguars sees. But again, you can't say that out loud after a guy goes nuclear, after all this preseason hype. How could you? Most people are going to cower in that situation. But that's why I'm here. That's why I'm here flexing. Oh, there were comments about Alexander Madison. How could you be bullish on Alexander Madison? That Alexander Madison take was so bad. You think Alexander Madison actually looked explosive? Did you not look at the box score? His yards per carry was putrid against yet the Eagles. Duh. Meanwhile, he dominated the touches again. Okay, we'll see. Cam Akers needs to get ramped up, but the Vikings got Cam Akers, acquired Cam Akers for nothing. So we will see. We will see. Just when everyone has has abandoned Alexander Madison, that's the time where I'm I'm down here looking at, huh, little picking up dimes off the ground. Y'all forgot about Alexander Madison. I was acquiring him. You're welcome. You're welcome. Will Akers start to cannibalize touches yes yes absolutely but he is not as explosive as alexander madison alexander madison is better ty chandler will be relegated to the third running back and he may be at game day inactive with kenny and wang Yu on special teams once he's ready to be a, you know a, a larger contributor so i just don't see a role for i don't see any role for ty chandler but I'm not as worried about Madison. Madison's one of those guys where he was a buy low. He's now a buy high. But the beauty is because of the Cam Akers trade, again, they, they, didn't, it was, they, they didn't have to give up anything for him. So we have no idea what his touch count's going to be given what they traded for him. So we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. But I can promise you the starter will be Madison. And I will officially go down as being right at every level, at every stage with Alexander Madison, and I feel great about it. I feel awesome about it. So he went from a buy low to a buy high. Again, Mostert, A-chain, buy highs. Big buy high week. Big buy high week and a sell low week. Yeah, sell low on these 2022 first-round wide receivers and buy high on a bunch of these running backs that everyone had discarded and forgotten about. I wouldn't buy high on Joshua Kelly, though, right? Joshua Kelly, uh, let's see, Craig Reynolds, right? These are players I've liked and I thought had, had were looking at opportunity, even though they were not explosive playmakers, not explosive, right? Craig Reynolds, not explosive. Joshua Kelly, not explosive. That's why we have the burst score on player profiler to show you. Okay, Joshua Kelly is going to do some things well, but he's not going to give you breakaway runs. We knew that. But I thought, okay, this guy's going to fall forward. He's going he's gonna, to he's gonna be a threat to score two touchdowns any given week. Same thing with Reynolds. That didn't happen, right? That didn't happen. So I was wrong about that. The touchdown upside, the touchdown equity that I was projecting for Joshua Kelly and Craig Reynolds the last couple weeks has turned out to be wrong. I am fallible. Not every piece of advice every week about everything can be correct from the podfather. And I'm not sorry. I'm not sorry because I did give you 
the most important piece of advice or, well, actually three critical pieces of advice for your dynasty rookie draft. And that was to draft CJ Stroud over Bryce Young, number one. Number two, to make sure you're drafting Roshan Johnson, Devon A. Chain over Zach Charbonnet. That was number two. But above all, above all, to draft Zay Flowers over a, over a wide receiver who happened to be on a team where the top three receivers in week three scored 85 fantasy points. 85. 80, 85. Yes. 85 fantasy points. Okay. Mike Williams, Keenan Allen, especially Keenan Allen. I mean, Keenan Allen. Wow. Right? Wow. Also, Keenan Allen is the Frank Gore of wide receivers. How about that? He was injured every year. Kidney problem, laceration, knee reconstruction, severe hamstring tear. He was playing like eight games a year for so many years. Then next thing you know, Keenan Allen, just a metronome. There he goes. Not explosive, doesn't matter. Frank Gore, right? Putting up 40 points. Mike Williams going ham. Josh Palmer giving you productive. Remember Josh Palmer? Josh Palmer on underdog, late in best ball drafts. Why is everyone forgetting about Josh Palmer? Oh, it's because they're penciling in Quinton Johnston. Remember, there are different formats where advice can be actionable. Now that you know, right? You knew it in June, right? So you know in June, Quinton Johnston's going to be nothing. Well, at the end of a best ball draft, you got to be you got to be drafting Joshua Palmer. Between those three, 85 fantasy points. 85 fantasy points. Quinton Johnston, though. Quint, in fairness, in fairness, in fairness, in fairness, Quinton Johnston, in week three, did have three fantasy points. 